Welcome back to Coaching Kern in episode 37. We're on Real Voices of the Game today, September 12th, 2022. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host, and I'm with my fellow co-host, Kevin Kern, and America's most beloved sports writer. Coming up, another great article. Uh, I recommend reading it on Ball 9. We had Roger Maris tribute. We had Death of the Fungo, and then we had a what I consider a version of, uh, it was about Route 66 grassroots baseball. I'm not going to spill it all because I want you to read it. But it was almost like the, the pictures were almost like Bridges of Madison County grassroots baseball style. So a uh, wonderful piece again, Kevin. Appreciate um, that, Dave. Yeah, always. I always I always look forward to it. And my children read it. And I think I shared with you, my daughter, uh, older daughter, Eleven, read it. And she she linked it to Cars, the cartoon movie. She's like, you know, that's where Cars took place on Route 66. A lot of good stuff happened in there. So I think that's going to be our next vacation, our, our kids said, Route 66. So get well, to get that. That'd be a good one. And uh and the best thing I liked about this article, without getting into it right now, but um, it's real baseball, real people, you know, um, and these, you know, and, and Jeff Idelson and Gene Firth, they, they, they really got to the heart and soul of the game out there and uh, what's really going on in the country and, uh, you know, how much baseball means to these people, not like what's going on uh, with Major League Baseball. Yeah, no, it was, it was very appropriate, great timing on the article as usual. Um, so we're here today with Real Voices of the Game. We've got a special guest, excited to have uh, our very own uh, performance coach, our trainer, 30-plus years in Major League Baseball with the Indians, the Royals, the Washington Nationals, was elected to the All-Star Game as the trainer in 2013, nine-plus years as the head trainer with, with Washington. Uh, I want to welcome Lee Kuntz to the show. Lee, welcome. And I know you're getting ready to head out to Germany tomorrow with the World Baseball Classic, you'll be uh, you'll be a part of Bruce Bochy's staff on the French team. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, very excited. Very excited to get back to uh, baseball on the field and see Bruce and uh, the rest of the French staff. Looking forward to it. You have a history with the the French baseball. Uh, team and national program. Could you share that a little bit with our audience. How it wasn't just like they plucked you out of the universe and said you're now, you're now coming to Germany to to handle the French team. Talk about your history with with the French team. Well, I had the opportunity of working uh, the World Baseball Classic qualifier in Panama right after uh, I got out of Major League Baseball, and I ran into one of my former players in the hotel elevator, Kyron Madison. And Kyron is currently the double-A manager with the Pirates in Altoona. And uh, when he took over the French squad, he invited me to come and be on his staff. And we had a great working relationship. Uh, and and it, it, made it, it made the game fun again for me. Those are always great. I think the World Baseball Classic has added a little bit of energy uh, to our baseball world. We talked off the air a tiny bit about it. Uh, what will be your role over there uh, once you get off the plane in Germany? What's the prep time leading up to the World Baseball Classic? Uh, I've been conversing with their coaching staff back and forth. Uh, I know there's a lot of other trainers that are coming into this cold. Uh, Major League Baseball went to presence there with people educated on how our injury system and injury reporting works. 
that's why a lot of former major league and minor league people are going over there to work the classic. And usually they'll place one with every team, uh, especially a team with affiliated players. So they're getting the best care possible. Uh, not to say that the countries don't have great care because they do. I know my counterpart in the French system uh, is very knowledgeable and we've had a good uh dialogue where we've exchanged ideas. He's learned a lot from me and I've learned a lot from him. No, that's a, that's a great collaborative effort. And I, I'm excited for you. I'm looking forward to watching the progress of the French team as well, especially now that we have uh, you as part of our show here. When we talked in preparation for the show, you made a statement and it, it hit me and I put it at the top of my, my notebook for today. And you said, baseball is meant to be played every day. Very simple, uh, very appropriate, but we don't see that often right now. Talk about what that statement means and how that kind of governs your approach as a trainer. You know, uh, again, I was fortunate enough to be around a lot of old timers in baseball when I was first getting started. And we were actually in an instructional league camp in St. Petersburg, Florida, and uh, Mr. George Kissel who was a St. Louis Cardinal for, I want to say, over 60 years of his adult life was there. And he asked a young player what he thought his best ability was. And the player started spouting off all these things. And Mr. Kissel stopped him in the middle of his sentence and said, son, your best ability is availability. And if you're not available to us every day, you don't do the club any good. And that really hit home for me. And I've kind of understood, especially in professional baseball, it's an everyday thing. But uh, getting players to understand how much they have to throw, hit, run, and do things every day and do it at a pace where you can maintain is key. And that's a big key to a lot of player success. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, on this show, we're, we're old school. We, we, we love guys to be on the field every day. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, Lee, what, with the, um, the over-reliance and over-practicing, in my mind, of, um, of, of hitting, you know, oblique injuries left and right, this and that, and we'll get on pitching later, but what's the, what's the challenge uh, and the lack of running that I see throughout not only Major League Baseball, but Minor League Baseball. I mean, we used to always see the pitchers running running uh, the poles after games and things like that in spring training. <clears throat> What's the challenge uh, of uh, keeping these guys on the field when they believe, you know, here's what they do. Their workout consists of hitting and maybe going to the weight room. How, how, how do you balance all that to, to, to try to keep these guys on the field? You know, it, it's a delicate balance, and you have to check in with – the players every day in in my end of the business where even if it's just a two-minute conversation like, hey, man, how you doing? How's the family? And then you turn around and you ask them a pointed question, you know, how's your arm today or your legs tired or I noticed something when you were running. Sometimes, too, I think with the availability of facilities, you you got guys coming to the ballpark at noon, 1130 and going in the cage and swinging and swinging and swinging and then BP and then 
extra BP before the game. And it's just the volume is overwhelming and trying to have them find a happy medium and again, do the things they need to do. I, I, that's the one thing I liked about, uh, when I was in the minor leagues, I had Charlie Manuel as a manager. We scheduled BP and he told the players, we are going to take BP every day. So pitchers, if you don't like it, you got to find another club. And pitchers would have to throw and run and do certain things at times. But having that on the schedule every day cut out a lot of other activities because they, if you give them free time, they'll go to the weight room. You give them free time, they'll go to the cage. So you, you got to try to manage volume and still have them fresh at 7 o'clock. Yeah, I would imagine that um, that team stayed pretty healthy. Just guessing, because if they were hitting and running and doing the things that baseball entails, uh, and with you there to guide it all, I, I would think that uh, you know that's the best recipe for success. Yeah, it worked for us. I mean, we had a lot of successful minor league teams when I was with Cleveland, and uh, you know that was pretty much organizational wide, where they they had them do certain things every day and. Uh, it's also a good time for a manager to evaluate a player, you know, sure. evaluate his swing, evaluate pitchers, long tossing. You you can pick up things that you don't normally see if you just let them, you know, graze on their own. That's uh, a great one. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's exactly what they do. And uh, before I turn it back to Dave, one last thing on with Charlie. Um, Jim told me in the story I wrote uh, for Ball Nine mentioned how in Charlotte, um, Charlie, they were watching, um, they were watching a natural and uh, the movie, you know, some downtime in the clubhouse. And Charlie mentioned to Jim Tomey, you see how Robert Redford, Roy Hobbs is pointing to center field in his uh, setup. I want you to try that. And, and Lo and behold, Jim Tomey tries that, and he keeps it forever because it got him all his rhythm right and was a real difference maker. So I would imagine you saw a lot of, especially with Charlie, you saw a lot of little things, little tweaks that became successful for hitters. What what was it like working with Charlie Manuel? You know what? That's uh, one thing I miss most about the game today for me. My favorite time at the ballpark was standing around the cage watching BP, listening to people talk. Mm. And yep. and with Charlie, it was like a ritual, but it was, I learned so much, you know, it was a good time for me to keep my eyes and ears open and my mouth shut. And I learned a lot and again, got to see a lot, but again, it was good natured ribbing a lot of times, keeping it light for players and then making a point of emphasis of just one or two things to work on a day. Yeah. My, my first 20 years in the business, easy 20, I'm guessing, you know, might be more, might've been 30 uh, off and on because I did football and NBA as well. But most of my stories came from around the cage. And um, when the writers association kind of gave up the batting cage, that was really a big loss. I thought, and now if you notice, most writers are herded into the sides of games. And um, 
um, if you're a rights holder, like a Ken Rosenthal, or you, you, Fox is doing a the game, then you can go up there. But that, to me, the cage is a special place. I mean, you, you're in a lot of special places because you got the training room and the cage. But getting getting that access to the cage and just kind of like keep, like you just said, keep your mouth shut and just listen. That uh, how much did that play into your development uh, into becoming the uh, the, the worker that you became. It, it really, like I said, it helped form my philosophy on taking care of players. And, and again, I tried to be very commonsensical about it and, you know, just checking in with them every day uh, on a personal level too. You know, I, I mean, today, a lot of things are very, what's the word I'm looking for? Antiseptic where, you don't have the same relationships with players you used to. And, and I think that's so valuable in trying to, you know, develop a trust relationship and also keep the players focused that, you know what, Hey, I am working for the club, but I'm working for you too. So. Yeah. That's a great point. And the, uh, sorry, Dave, I just thought of this one last thing. Um, Trainers always get those calls too, you know. Trainers get the calls in the middle of the night, right? Uh, where something happens. So oh yeah, <laughs> you're, on, you're on call twenty four hours, so I'm sure you've seen some things. Yeah, but nothing I could talk about. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, of course. But that's that. That gets back to your point about we're here for you as a, a person as well, and I think that's a vital point and needs to needs to be uh, needs to be brought back to the game in a lot of ways. No, I, did, I think with something that you're you're hitting on, Lee, not just talking about what you do, but the managers that had an impact on you, there's a balance between knowing your craft. You don't get to the level you were at without knowing your craft well, but I gather that there was an equal importance putting on, put on knowing your player. Um, you're talking about understanding and getting to know them personally, but getting down to the, the craft itself, how much of knowing your player was important to applying your craft. For instance, when a guy says, I can't go today, or a guy says, I can go, how much do you have to balance that to, to help really protect the player against themselves? Uh, you know what? There, There's always a way to set up checks and balances. And again, we're back to the cage and on the field. If I'd have a player with a low ex- lower extremity injury and he was having a hard time running, we always had them run the bases and it's a short routine, but you have them do all the base running skills they have to do. You have them sprint out of the box and run through first, sprint out of the box and make a hard turn at first and come back, run first to third, you know, and, and so on and so forth and get them to do all the things they might have to do in a game. And it's also a way to throw in some conditioning there, especially if they've been off the field for a while, because they get dog tired having to run all these things back to back to back. And you can get eyes on and say, yeah, this guy's going to hold up or I'm not quite sure yet. And I think we ought to give him another day. You, You touched on Charlie Manuel a little bit. And I know there's a there's a deep relationship with you and him. Talk about his importance to your career um, and that that relationship, that special bond that you two had. You know what I I like to say he was like my dad. Uh, 
he he really kind of brought me in the fold. Uh, my first AAA job, I was with him in Charlotte. And first day of spring training, we had a welcome to win- spring training dinner in Winter Haven, Florida, sitting in a like school gymnasium, having hot dogs and everything. And Charlie gathered the AAA staff and sat down and said, look, we're going to work hard. We're going to work hard every day. We're going to do what we're supposed to do, but you know, we're going to have fun and we're going to win too. And sure enough, we make the playoffs that year and we uh, win the international league title. And the first thing he said to me when we got on the plane was, I told you we'd win. And <laughs> I mean, he also made me feel when I, when I'd screw something up, he'd bring me in the office, he'd close the door, he'd air me out. And then after he was done, he'd stand up, he'd put his arm around me and we'd walk out of the office together. And that was the end of it. So like I said, I I learned a lot of hard lessons, but there are lessons that stuck with me throughout my career. and. And I felt like I was part of the staff. And lo and behold, by the end of the year, I, I, you know, I felt like an equal partner in everything with the staff. So that's not always the case in some people in my situation. But at that time, it was and it meant a lot to me. Who were some of the young players you had there that went on to the majors? Oh, OJ, Shuey, Tommy, Nagy. I mean, it, and the list goes on and on. What a system they were producing, right? Yeah, Manny. I got some great Manny stories, too. Manny, Manny showed up at a AAA game when we were playing the Orioles. Or I'm trying to remember. We were in Norfolk, and AA was in uh, Bowie. And they moved Manny up. They threw him in a cab and shipped him over to Norfolk. And he showed up and said, I need a uniform. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> oh, that, and and Manny, too. Uh, I, I think we were talking to, uh, it might have been Fred Clare mentioned it. Somebody mentioned it. I forget who. Um, Manny, you know, he's such a great hitter, but he really didn't have the confidence in his defense. So, so what did you see? What, what kind of things did you see Charlie do to work with Manny to make him a more complete player and also take advantage of that incredible hitting skill? Well, you all know how focused Charlie was on hitting, but he did actually make him go out in the outfield every day, take fly balls off a bat, and, you know, especially during BP. there He's like, look, you're not going to get any better work than when our guys are – hitting rockets up off the wall. He, I don't want you to go into the wall, but I want you to track them. I want you to get back there and, you know, see how balls fly in this ballpark. And uh, I think it really helped the kid a lot. And at the time he was a kid and, you know, there's always that saying Manny being Manny and, some of the things he did were just so comical. It, it kept things light, but Charlie never missed the opportunity to to put a 
emphasis on something. And if he, if you screwed something up, he would meet you at the top step of the dugout and let you know. And I, I think, think that's a big- that helped Manny too, because Manny trusted Charlie and Charlie always let him know what was on his mind. Yeah, that's a great point. And for young players too, there's a bunch of great points in there. You know, when, when you are taking batting practice, go out there and, and just, you know, shag some flies, do the extra work. Don't have somebody tell you to do it. Just go out and do it. It's the best time to read a bat off the ball and um, uh, the ball off the bat. And, and also, I, you know, you know, I was around guys like Steve Finley, this and that, and, and that's how they became really great outfielders. And, and Manny improved dramatically as well. The uh, one thing I'm seeing in baseball now is, and I think you referenced it perfectly there, but top step. I, I think we're losing top step baseball. And by that, I mean where either the leader of the team would be on the top step saying something very important. And holding people accountable, or the manager or the coaches would be on a top step. I guess you would see you would have seen a lot of top step uh, interaction between coaches, players uh, through the years. Yeah, I I did, and I've had very good fortune with a lot of great managers, and you know what? Almost to to a T, almost every one of them had their own way of, you know wrapping their ideas around a player and, and trying to get them to, to buy in. Yeah. I get, this is going to be a tough question now going to France and, and uh, I'm going to need an answer here. I'm putting you on a spot knowing Bruce Bochy so well, as I know him, I had him as a player. And then of course, all his years managing and we got along great. How are you going to, um, I would imagine you're going to run into some situations where you guys are, are trying out some pretty good wine. <laughs> yeah uh bruce always seems to have a good bottle of wine i'm i'm actually looking forward to that and uh there were a few times where we had some staff rooms uh staff meetings in his room and him and joe always seemed to have a couple glasses around so <laughs> it worked out it made for good conversation now, when you say Joe, are you talking about his brother, Joe Bochi? Yes. Okay. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, no, I think I think those great stories with, with that. Now, this will be kind of an in-between. Obviously, you got some major league or some MLB representation over in France. But uh, you and I were kind of joking about as a trainer in the minors, you're just not a trainer. Can you share with our audience some of the, the multitude of jobs outside of being a trainer that you had to take on as a, as a minor league trainer? You know what? I I know, again, the game has changed and specialization is in where trainers just do one thing, but I had to do, I had to be the traveling secretary in AAA. So I handled the plane tickets, uh, hotel accommodations where you're having to change on the road when somebody gets called up or sent down, uh, in double A, I had to do the laundry on the road, and and that was kind of tough. Uh, like like I said, you wore many hats, but I think one of the best things uh, when I was in triple A, I always checked players in and would check their luggage when they got to the terminal. Uh, in in Charlotte, I was fortunate enough to have 
we had a charter flight because Mr. Shin, George Shin, owned the AAA ball club. So we flew the Hornets plane. So players would always play this game when we got off the plane and went into the terminal to get our luggage uh, first bag out. And they would put 2 or $3 in the pot. And, you know, if your bag came out first, you got the money. How much control did you have over that? Well, they didn't understand at first. And I had an older player complaining about something. And then one of the other older guys came up to me and said, you load all the luggage, don't you? Yeah. He slipped me a few dollars and said, make sure mine gets out first. It worked really well. There you go. You're going to get some some nasty text messages after this post, probably from those, those uh, players that lost a few bucks on the road there. <laughs> oh, they made it up. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that, that's the fun of traveling as a team and, and, and you and uh, kind of like becoming a team. It's not just and this is what I think a lot of people don't understand today. It's not just how you're performing on the field, but it's about all the little things you do as a team together. Yeah, I, you know, I saw a lot of America by bus and uh, there there would be some short fuses sometimes, but some long bus rides and. It, it kind of made it a family affair. Give us a bus story. I can, I can share one, one of my minor league bus stories to, to roll. I, I, uh, I once got fined and I'll leave the manager's name out of it. $50 for reading on the bus. And I was in single A. <laughs> and the reason why not everybody had, you know, bus trips are long. You're going from Bangor, Maine to Chillicothe, Ohio, or you got 12 hours on a bus. You roll out, check in, play a double header. Um, it, it got, you know, late guys would have a beer or so on the bus. Everybody's asleep. I pulled my book out. I was reading, I get a tap on the shoulder, 50 bucks. And I was, uh, I was thinking like, skip. And I, I said, not to be talked back, but why? And he's like, it hurts your batting eye. And, uh, and I kind of joked him. I looked at him, kind of tilted my head and said, what about my brain? I'm on, I'm on with knuckleheads all day long. I got to keep smart. And, uh, he kind of laughed at me, took a, took a little drink of his, his beer and he's like, okay, I'm going to wave this one because you made me laugh the next time, 50 bucks. So not, not allowing to read on the bus was something interesting that never had it happen again. And I always waited till I got back to the hotel if I wanted to read something, but, um, any, any neat stories from your bus rides that you can share? Yeah. I'll, and I'll throw somebody's name out there too. He's still in the game. Tim Maxey. I don't know if you know Tim. He is the in charge of strength and conditioning and works for the PA and MLB jointly. We got into uh, Des Moines, Iowa at like 2.30 in the morning, and he jumps off the bus and grabs his suitcase. I said, where are you going? He goes, up to my room. I'm like, Tim, we got to go unload the bus at the ballpark yet. So he crawls back on the bus. We head over to the ballpark. And the bus, he gets off the bus and just stands there and doesn't help us. So we're unloading everything, trying to wake the clubby up in the clubhouse to come out with the cart and get all the equipment and luggage. And Tim is underneath the bus in the bay, firing bags out like 10 yards out onto the sidewalk. And he's, he is just furious that the driver's not helping us. I said, Tim, I got this. He goes, what? I said, trust me, I got this. We got everything unloaded. Uh, 
the clubhouse guy helped us. And we had two buses at the time, and the other bus he helped us. So when we rolled back to the hotel, I said, okay, Tim, you ready? He goes, yeah. I walk up to the one busy. I hand him 100 bucks. I said, thank you so much for your help. You did a great job driving. I turned around the other guy. I tipped my cap, and Tim and I walked in the hotel. And Tim gets in the elevator, and he goes, that was great. <laughs> That's, That's perfect. Um, and you, you got a Will George story? Oh, geez. <laughs> Oh, that's you gotta give us one. You gotta give us one so we can uh, hit Woolworth it tomorrow. I can't. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I. That's so long ago. That's even jogging my memory. Will the thrill? My wife still calls him Will the Thrill, though. That's a story in itself, right there. Oh my God! I, I when I told her that I had heard from Will, she goes, "Will the Thrill?" I said, "Yeah." <laughs> oh Jesus. He has a way of, uh, you know, getting in your memory. Yeah, he was very good to me. We had a very uh, – I got along with most everybody, and Will made it easy. So, And there was always good conversation about pitching and, again, a give-and-take relationship where you can tell him you're really concerned about something or, or you're seeing something or – he had a fight with his girlfriend last night or, you know, the trainer hears a lot of those things too. And I didn't want to be a clubhouse rat, but there were times where you got to kind of let the, the pitching coach know what's going on. So, yeah, cause there are people and you know, there's a lot of, uh, there really is a lot of bull dorm in baseball, you know, like the movie. I mean, I, you know, that, 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 especially back then, you know, that, that was stuff that actually happened and, and, uh, the, I want to ask you real quick about the WBC because I covered the first two or three WBCs. I loved it. The WBC to me was a great event simply because you really saw, especially in the the, the Latin players, they played so uh, they were so into it because of their representing their country. You know what I mean? And uh, and you get that across the board with the players. It becomes a it really becomes a a, a fun event. But I also noticed too, guys, because they're trying so hard on every team, they have a tendency maybe to 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 push it a little harder. And and with the timing of the year it was, uh, that that could sometimes lead to injury. So so what can you do to make sure guys don't don't overextend themselves in the WBC because they want to, you know, they really want to win, uh, do as well as they can for their country and their team. Well, I I do know, like I said. I look for tells with players. It's kind of like poker, but if you see a pitcher and you knew he threw a lot the night before and they don't come out and pick up a ball the next day, you know, I, I'm obligated and I feel so to, to go tell the pitching coach, hey, we better keep an eye on this guy or that guy. or I mean, that that's all part of the job and, and understanding uh, and the other thing is time of year where we're coming into the end of the French professional season over there now. So there's a lot of guys that are worn down a little bit. And and I look for, you know, n- not necessarily what their velocity is, but how are they throwing? What's their arm slot? What are the, Do they play catch every day? Do they, you know, 
are, are they babying something? Is their arm dragging? So you have to, like I said, be aware. And it helps knowing a lot of the French players. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of them for five or six years now where I've developed a relationship with them. And, and again, the coaches picking their brain, what are they seeing at the same time? So, How much influence over in France now? And a lot of our audience may not know this. Um, there's a heavy Venezuelan-Cuban influence over there, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, when actually one of the coaches for Team France, Cano Perez, uh, was in the Indian system. And I guess when his time was up, he didn't want to go back to Venezuela and he was able to emigrate to France and get a passport and started playing baseball there. And now he's very instrumental in many of their programs with their academy. And he works year round at all levels of their system. Like where do you see that influence in their play? Is there, is it evidence in their play? Yeah. Yes, it is. I mean, he, he puts his, flavor in it. And, and they also have some Cuban coaches that have moved over here. And, uh, we do have a, a player that is, I want to say is in the Brewer system currently. And, uh, Ernestico Martinez and, and his father was on the Cuban national team for years as their frontline catcher. And he is also in the, the French system over there helping with their players. Well, that's, that's, that's the great part about baseball that I think that we all love is the stuff you're talking about with the minor league camaraderie, uh, you know, the managerial influence, not just as you as to you as a father figure, but also confronting the players. And I think players want that, that discipline. Um, you mentioned Will, and I jotted this down to kind of pivot a little bit. We see with our audience, we have a lot of young kids in the audience, a lot of grassroots, uh, grassroots people, coaches, parents, players. I want to hit two topics on you. One is this syndrome of chasing velocity. Um, are you seeing it out there as, from a trainer standpoint? How dangerous is it? Um, and just kind of give your thoughts on on that type of stuff. I see it constantly and I hate it. And I, I you can put as many exclamation points behind that as you want. How about learning to pitch first, and we can work on the velocity later as your body matures. I mean, you get a really young player in who's hitting a growth spurt, and you know his there's a lot of disconnect in their in their body now because they've grown two inches in the last year, so it affects their mechanics, and everybody wants to throw harder, harder, faster. And I've seen so many elbows get torn up and, and people wanting to throw heavy balls instead of just throwing a baseball or long tossing. Or, I mean, it's the same in hitting where kids are trying, you know, swinging weighted implements or, or just taking so much BP that they're worn out. I mean... A lot goes into it, and and baseball again is give and take. You got to give me a hundred percent of what you got today, but that may may not be, you know, that hundred percent may be only eighty percent. So, as a, as a professional, you know, baseball trainer, you've been at the highest level 
both in country and globally with the World Baseball Classic. For our young audience, what is the best way to get stronger as a baseball player? You know, I I, I really do like uh, conditioning and lifting weights, but I also think, especially throwing wise, I'm a big proponent of long tossing. Uh, and again, maintaining form and, and you're able to watch when kids throw, if their form's breaking down at a certain distance, you try not to take them too far over that distance. You do try to stretch them back, but you have to work back into this. This is an ongoing process. It's not, I'm going to be able to back out to 210 feet and throw the ball the same every time. You had a concept when we talked privately that I think is important for our, our young kids in the audience. Uh, we talked about it actually with Brandon Duckworth on our show last week, spinning off, especially when they're long toss. Can you can you tell our audience what's meant by spinning off and, and why that's so detrimental to both mechanics and potential injury? Well, when, when a player spins off, if he's on the mound, he tends to uh, rotate and he's trying to generate more force. And when you're pitching, you're supposed to push off the rubber and stride forward and release the ball out in front. All that is well and good, but when you get tired and or weak, you start to rotate by spinning your shoulders, and what that ends up doing is opening up and putting more stress on your shoulder and your elbow. and next thing you know, we're talking about Tommy John. So. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the unfortunate thing we hear from parents uh, waiting for their first Tommy John surgery. And we're going to actually get into that tomorrow on our panel of resident experts. Um, we see this a lot with the the tournament situation. I want to touch on, cause I think you're a brave soul for doing this, but you spent a lifetime in professional baseball and retired, but you're not really retired. You're now you're still uh, helping kids. You're still helping community. You're still helping athletes um, on the high school level right now, giving back. Uh, Tell our audience a little bit about what you're doing for both the football and baseball programs uh, where you're currently at. Uh, I when I got home, I was. I was kind of forced into retirement, but that being said, I still felt like I had some something to give. And I, I looked locally for jobs at a lot of colleges and everywhere I went, I was told the same thing over and over again. You're overqualified. We can pay you commensurate with your experience. No, sorry, can't hire you. And it was making me crazy. And more than that, it was making my wife crazy. She told me if she didn't, if I didn't get a job or something to do, she was going to throw me out of the house. So I had to find something to do and uh, luck of the draw, I ran into, my wife and I went out uh, here in Canton, Ohio and ran into a couple we know and uh, the, the husband is our team physician at Maslin Washington High School, Jared Stefanko. My wife is good friends with his wife. And he looked at me and said, aren't you supposed to be at work? I said, well, I'm, I'm out of the game right now. I'm looking for something to do. He goes, well, we need a trainer at Maslin. Ours just left. Do you mind if I give your name to our head coach? I'm like, no. 
head coach Nate Moore had me in the office the next day wanting to sign a contract. He's also the athletic director. And I told him I'd, I'd work football because Maslin is very based on football. It was the original coaching post for Paul Brown. And we play in Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. So there's a huge football tradition there. And I know they had a pretty good baseball program too. I said, listen, I'll, I'll work football. And because I know baseball, I'll do baseball as well. But I want to kind of slow down. So I don't want to cover all the other athletics here. I will definitely see an athlete from any sport, but, you know, spending hours and hours and hours on game coverage, I just can't do that anymore. I want to spend some time with my family. And they were very good about letting me do that. And we hired an assistant through uh, one of the health systems here in Ohio. And he turned out to be great. His name's Sam Oweiler. I got to give him some props. He, he keeps me going. Uh, he teaches me something every day and I try to teach him something every day. So it's, it's a good relationship, but again, I felt it was a way to give back, but was also a way to keep my brain from eating itself. And you're obviously coaching young players, you're mentoring a trainer and kind of giving back because as you gave, gave a lot of props to your mentors in the game, uh, Charlie Emanuel being one. Now you've got a different component though, with the high school level with, with, uh, parents. Uh, how are you coaching parents right now? Uh, you know, that, that, that's definitely a different aspect of it that I wasn't well versed in because in prof professional athletics, you're isolated from that a little bit. Uh, but just trying to get them to trust me and understand what I'm trying to do and, there's always a lot of conversation and occasionally you have to try to put the brakes on them and tell them, you know, look, we're not going to do that. I wouldn't do that with a professional player. Why would I do that with your child? And also have them understand that this kid's only 15, 16, 17 years old, and there's a lot of road in front of them. And I'd rather not make that road behind them by blowing them up too soon because they all want to, you know, is he going to be able to play this week or next week? Well, this injury takes, you know, four to six weeks to heal. So we'll, we'll talk to you in six weeks. Yeah. Different, obviously, from when you started uh, a long time ago, I would imagine with the parental involvement. Yes. Yes. Is um, the, uh, What's Friday Night Lights? Are they playing Fridays there or are they playing Saturdays? Uh, we play Friday. We play Friday at 7 p.m. Uh, we are playing St. Edwards High School, which is one of the top-rated high schools in Ohio this year, and that looks to be one of the toughest games on our schedule. Uh, and we started off with one of the number one teams in the state in a division higher than us with Moeller High School out of Cincinnati oh, yeah. this year. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. We took that one on the chin, but I'm I'm hoping we can keep up with St. Ed's. They're also in Division One, and and we're a little bit smaller. We're a Division Two school, but a lot of kids come out for football, and we we try to make the best. We like to play up. That's the best way to stretch and 
expose weaknesses, and that's how you get better. Um, you, you hit on a key point, again, prior to the show today that you and I both agree on. I know Kevin does as well. Um, demeanor, etiquette, decorum, a, a couple key words that kids need to learn and, and maybe emphasize to our audience uh, to get uh, to get the attention, the positive attention from a trainer or anybody else, uh, any other coach, adult, that's kind of lost in our world today. Uh, and I don't know if you recall, we're talking about the, the please no, and thank I- you. I do. Yeah. Please. And thank you are big in my world. My, my mother always insisted that we said it. And, you know, when people come in the training room and they ask for things, I just, I won't say anything. I'll just look at them and I'll kind of nod my head and then the kid will go, what? And then one of the other kids in the room will go, please. And it works out well. And I just tell them, please and thank you goes a long way in my world. And there's a lot of kids that are going to the D1 schools out of here. I said, you're not going to walk in the D1 training room and tell the trainer what you need. You need to make sure you, you know, are polite and you let them know what you need. But don't be afraid to say please and thank you. It'll get you a long way. My daughter is a coach and she, she has similar type, uh, you know, uh, requirements. Uh, my, my question is a little deeper. How did, how did we get to where, cause I grew up in a different environment. You had to say, please, thank you. And stuff. How do we get to where that, that isn't done normally? Why, why is that? You know, I, I don't know if, if it's a parental thing or if it's just today's culture, but again, I insist on it and the kids are very good about it. Once they understand the rules, you know, they all come in and, and if I don't respond right away, one of the other kids cues them in and, and we, we kind of use a peer system where the other kids are starting to pick up on it and, I think it, it helps to grow. And, and the coach here is very insistent on uh, being polite, being prompt, you know, doing all your assignments. And, and they follow up on the kids at school by checking their grades, checking their attendance, making sure they're not tardy. If they're tardy to school, there's consequences. So I think as long as the kids understand the, the rules, you know, it's an easy thing that these are the rules. If you don't follow them, there's consequences. Well, that, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's fantastic work you're doing on, on many levels, not just getting them right physically, but getting uh, maybe teaching them a little bit of manners. And I think, uh, you know, we, we push that as well here. So hopefully people can learn from that. Finally, for me, the, um, the, uh, has the ball player himself, changed much through the decades or is it or you seem pretty much the same guy if, if you if you're going to be training in the wbc or in the, in the majors or whatever what, what are you seeing from the player nowadays in regards to your job you know what uh, the player has changed uh unfortunately in my opinion sometimes it's more for the individual than it is for the the team concept uh, and, and I don't mean that to be negative on oh, all yeah. players, but the, the, I've, I've seen, I, I want to say the best way I, I, I can, some, some players are I, me, me, I guys, 
now and not more team oriented. Uh, but baseball is a team sport. So you, you got to, you know, it may hurt your batting average, but you got to do the best for the team. Or well, I, 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 yeah, along, along those lines, I always say just, just be like Aaron Judge. I mean, I wrote about it a few weeks ago. I was watching a game and he took off his, uh, you know, his, he's uh, on base, third out is made. He takes off his, uh, you know, base, his base running gear, hands it to the coach, and you could see him say, thank you. Thanks for taking this. That that's exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yes. No, Not throw it on the ground and make the bat boy pick it up or I, I mean that that happens, you know, where they're trying to make a quick change and go out, but again, you know, and firing things in the dugout. Didn't we just recently see somebody get smoked yeah. in the shin? Yeah, 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 we saw that. And then the, then of course the player who did the the action, uh, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think uh, I think he nailed it. When you you got to think about not just yourself, but other people, and that makes you a better teammate. Yeah, and again, it's a team. It's a team sport. So we gotta we gotta try to herd them back into the team concept. Sometimes, I mean, there's, there's plenty of room for individualism in the game. That's for sure. And, That's and for sure. I, I do I do like some of the individual things, but I, I also like to bring it back around to, you know, if if you go good, we go good. Who taught you that? And I know you, you mentioned Charlie, but it just, this has to come from a much deeper uh, growing up type things. Where, where, where did you learn some of those lessons about uh, more more we instead of me? Uh, you know what? I, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of good mentors in high school and my family was involved in baseball. I had several uncles that played professionally in the minor leagues and that's where I got my love of baseball. And, uh, again, I, I had a, an uncle that lived in our, our home when I was growing up and he was the Legion coach in our hometown. Wow. And he was a Legion coach for over, I want to say 30 years. And you know, it was about the team. It wasn't about you or anybody else. It was how the team did. And, and I thought those were good experiences for me. I really made me enjoy the game. I learned a lot by just watching when I was the bat boy. And I also learned from my dad, you know, where something had happened in the game, my dad would look over and say, if you ever do that, I will wear you out after this game. So it's stuck. <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff. Kevin, you want to throw at Lee our usual closing question to our real voices of the game guest? Yeah, it's always different. And, um, you know, we, we do it with different player people, so it's not just a ball player question, even though ball player is a key word. What does it mean to be a ball player? It's a real simple question, but you see it from a different perspective. But what 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 does it mean to be a ball player? You know what? Uh, again, growing up, uh, I was always told baseball is America's pastime and everybody – digs the big league ball player and it meant a lot 
to me to be involved in it professionally where I got to do it every day. And I loved going to the ballpark. I, I loved my job. I going to work every day. I mean, at the, at the cost to my family at times where now I'm getting to spend a lot more time with my wife and kids. But when I was in the game, you know, spring training rolled around and I packed up and went to spring training and my family stayed here in Ohio. My wife is a practicing attorney and she had her own career and we had a a very good health, you know, care system with my wife's parents living close by where I got the opportunity to go work and do what I loved. But, uh, she, you know, thank God for my wife too. Uh, when we met, I said, look, if you want, if I got out of baseball once, and if you want me to get out, this ain't going to work. And she said, good, I'm going to be a lawyer. And if you want me to get out of that, it ain't going to work either. So, That's a perfect marriage right there. Yeah. I learned a few hard lessons too, but uh, it, it really meant a lot to me where I could go to work every day and do something that I loved. I like that goes right back to the first statement you made to start the interview. Baseball is meant to be played every day. And it sounds like that's what you've embodied your, your whole career and continue to pass on to these kids and make it about community, make it about respect, make it about doing, doing the next right thing, right if I were to paraphrase it for you. But Lee, thanks so much for, for appearing on Real Voices of the Game, the Coach and Kernan show. Um, we loved having you. Hope we can have you back. And, and great, uh, best of luck to you in the World Baseball Classic with the French team. Yeah, keep your fingers crossed. I hope we, we get a couple of hot pitchers and go over there and blow some people away. Well, we're going to ask for some tips. If you get any private tips on wines from Bruce Bochy, please text Kevin and I privately so we can uh, we can kind of gain from your experience over there too, not just baseball, but your, your wine experience. I will, I will take pictures of the labels and send them to you. That's it. (laughs) I really appreciate it. Thank you, Lee. Thank you so much. Thanks to our audience. Real Voice of the Game, episode 37.